You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes and even real life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Welcome to the Get Fucking Real show. I'm Lisa, I am your host, and I have a question for you. Where are you holding yourself back? Now, I've heard that question multiple times and often I gloss over it because it's really hard to admit that we are holding ourselves back. It's, it's much easier to look externally at conditions or people or circumstances that are keeping us from moving forward. Today's guest, J.R. Burgess, oh, what a delight. I cannot wait for you to meet him. He embraces GFR commandment number 12, like nobody's business. And he will exhibit this over and over and over again throughout the interview. And he starts the story when he's in fifth grade and he takes it up through the present time. So GFR commandment number 12 is find where you are holding yourself back and do whatever it takes to get out of your own way. And of course, the confession question is, where am I holding myself back? I would love and would like to set an intention and a prayer and a wish and a hope and a dream that you take a second and ask yourself this question. And what, what, why? Why? Because that's what this whole show is about, is getting out of our own way and looking at these guests and hearing their stories as inspiration, as a way to GFR so that we can get out there bigger in our mission and do the work we're supposed to do here on this planet so that we do not have that regret when we are at the end of our life that we should have done more, could have done more. So by the way, if you have not gotten your copy, beautiful color graphic representation of the 12 GFR commandments, you need to go do that. <laughs> go to gfr.life forward slash 12C. Do it now. Pause the freaking thing and do it now. Only because it's such a Bible, um, of course, pun intended there, um, for our show. And uh, all of our guests refer to it. And it is your roadmap for getting real. So JR, I love how he identifies himself as a recovering extremist. He says he has lived his rebel life to the fullest, and yet he's a work in progress, committed to growing, helping restore health worldwide, and sharing his journey 
His calling and family have allowed him to overcome severe depression, low self-esteem, drug and alcohol addiction, and addiction to extreme doing crazy stuff like jumping off water towers, which his family, like his family's business was building water towers. And he's recovered from, from most of all that. He says he's a, re- a slowly recovering extremist. And he is now channeling his extremist energy into his mission of revolutionizing the world's approach to healthcare and, and medical insurance and diagnostic and all that good stuff. It's such a, an amazing uh, thing that he has created. He has an $8 million integrated practice, a physical practice, and has coached about what he's done in his integrated practice to over 100 other medical practices around the world. And he shares with us today his really, you know, just very sordid and troubled, as some people might characterize, his childhood. And so for those of you that are listening that have kids that are struggling um, or were a struggling kid, this is such a beautiful after story that I uh, hope feeds you in a way that you need to be fed so that you can be more fully expressed and do the thing you're supposed to do here on this planet in a bigger way. Without further ado, I introduce you to father of four and two-time best-selling author, international speaker, and all-around great guy, J.R. Burgess. Hello, JR. Welcome to the Get Fucking Real show. I'm so excited you reached out to tell your story, to be on my show. And I'm just, and I'm just delighted to be here and see you again. It's been a little while. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing so great. And I'm so excited to be on here to really have the opportunity to help others see how important that we've all had our journeys, our struggles, and our pains. And being in community, which you've created here to let people know that they're not alone, but you're going to go through some shit in life that is either going to cripple you or it's, you're going to use it as your springboard to your next calling in life. So I'm so excited to share my journey. I love how you put that. Yeah. It's either going to cripple you or you're going to use it, use it as a springboard. It's so true. You know, and I was telling you as we were prepping for the show that, um, that I, I, I've noticed I go through life just seeing everybody's like shit storm of life like as they're before <laughs> you know and it's it, it's 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 sometimes it, I think it's it's not helpful to people because you know they want you to sort of like you know go down with them you know into it and I could do that too but um I you know I'm inspired by the things around me because I just cannot wait to see what happens you know it's like I just cannot wait and I was telling you that I was having dinner with a, a friend of my daughter's whose younger brother has, you know, he's 13, he's already been through rehab. And, you know, we have a front, front row seat with his unfolding and now he's in football. And like, I just fucking know that like, this is his before and I cannot wait to see what happens with this, this young person. And so, and then it was so, of course, divinely orchestrated to, to be able to have this time with you today and I feel like you lived his before story and here you are and what you've accomplished. So yeah, I can't wait to dive in. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I want you all to know JR is like, he's so excited. And, and like many of our guests, they, you know, they don't get a chance to like luxuriate in their story uh, just for the sake of their story. 
it's usually like, oh, I need to do this like piece of my intro before I go into like this part of the thing that I sell or teach or whatever. And so um, I'm, I'm excited to give you uh, this platform. So one of the things that you shared with me was like it really that you, that as a young person, you remember there was a point where you were outgoing and you were excited about life and then, you know, something happened to you and you feel like, like that young person you know, like that trajectory got completely shifted. So what, let's start there. Yeah, I, I really don't remember too much of my childhood through everything that I experienced, but I do remind or remember my demeanor being fun-loving into everybody. My parents said I didn't know a stranger. So it was just like I was the life of party. We'd go to a restaurant and I was talking to people and that was, you know, the fun-loving, happy JR that was already climbing water towers at a young age and jumping out cribs. So I was a born as a little bit of a, a free bird. And I um, traveled. My parents did building water towers, and he was on the road. And we were in school, and my mother had a brother and a, and a sister-in-law, and they didn't get along very well for whatever reasons. And my, my, sister, my mother's sister-in-law happened to be um, best friends with a teacher who was my, my science teacher. And I had big years growing up. And some of my friends had already started to call me Dumbo and tease like every, you know, kid probably experienced that one time growing up. And she stood me up on the desk and flicked my ears and says, JR lacks any cartilage. And I was mortified. So I held it in being a stuffer for, for whatever reason and didn't tell my mom right away. But I, I remember having a crush on this girl and I couldn't go back to school to face her. I was so embarrassed. So I was angry and I would hold it in and my, then I would erupt. And my mom's like, what's going on with you, JR? And, and it came out. So I was so depressed. I wouldn't go back to school. My parents ended up having plastic surgery for me, but it didn't necessarily work. My self-confidence and self-image was shot at that point. So really the only thing that I could do to drown my pain is I didn't want to go back to school was started playing sports. So the, the next two years, it was little league, baseball, hockey, every hour consumed is I was just playing sports. And, you know, but that was, you know, a, a, a turning point is I was really struggling in school and my father wasn't there traveling. And that was the beginning of my journey. But, you know, that's where, you know, things can happen like they do to, to all people at a young age. And it can start, you know, from an external event or a traumatic event, really start to shape your future. And it did for me. And I love sports. But then in the, the seventh grade, just like your, your friend you were mentioning, I stumbled upon drugs and alcohol. So there were, I lived in a small town and we would drink beers. And all of a sudden I would get a little bit crazy. We would smoke pot and I would become the life of the party. So I became somewhat cool because I was getting good, good at sports and partying with these older guys. And, you know, that was like the two things that covered up any sort of pain were drugs, alcohol, sports, and, and having fun with people. But anytime I was in school setting or around girls now at that time, um, had very little self-esteem. Thank you for sharing that about sports. I And because nowadays there is an epidemic of kids being like overscheduled and, you know, people point to college applications and like, you know, reasons for having, you know, kids be so, you know, overscheduled. And, and, and yet there obviously is a huge contribution to young people to, 
to get into a, a situation where they can feel like a winner, where they can be a part of a team, where they're having physical exercise, and and yet at the at the expense of emotional intelligence, you know, and being able to 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 manage um, things coming at you is is not so great. So um, yeah, it's like it's a blessing. Obviously, the sports was a huge blessing for you at a time when you really needed it. Yeah, it was is important. So when I look at that is sports started to define who I really was, which I was competitive. I was a coach. I, I was somebody. So in that setting where I had confidence, I, you know, was never the most talented Lisa, but I worked harder than everybody. I studied the game. I invested more time in it. So that's where I really acquired vision and began to, to really piece together my greatest gift now. But I also started hanging out with some of those athletes that would tease on the other kids. And what I'd really realized from what I happened, I was more interested in going and emotionally connecting with these people because I became an empath. I could feel others' pain. I was still in emotional pain. I just had my, my cover-ups and my way to have safety, comfort, and protection was sports, something I, I became good at, or drugs and alcohol. So that's where it's like I started to define my gift of really recognizing and reading a room, who's not right emotionally, who's not right physically. And instead of those guys even going out and party, I'd want to go hang out with that other kid if I knew they were desperate and in pain. So I started to balance my time between sports, friends, and being with people. And what I really hated at that time, just because like that teacher, is, is authority. So I could even see and grasp is I, I had a good street smart about me of, of understanding vision. I couldn't grasp why some teachers were mean, and rude or didn't listen to the kids. So I started rebelling and getting kicked out of everything. If it's a teacher was new, I'd be like, F you. It's like, I, I didn't tolerate it. My father wasn't there. I didn't really care. So it was just like, I didn't mind getting kicked out of everything. So by the eighth grade, ninth grade, um, I had been kicked out of every class and started going to um, learning schools because I just got kicked out of everything. But what hurt me is I was a nice kid. I was caring, loving, empathetic. I just would really have no filter for any rule, any meanness, or anything that I spotted. So it's almost like I was like a, a Avenger-type rebel, you know, the, the, or what's that one guy, Daredevil, is I was, you know, probably a, the, the troublemaker, but in my mind, it's, it's like I was just calling things as I saw them at that yes. age. But, but yes, I was disrupting um, probably other kids from learning and looked at that as and what, what happened to me were, um, luckily, I was good enough in sports to, to not be kicked out of school, and they had allowed me to come sports, because it was everything. I wasn't going to go to college. I was going to go build water towers. That's what my family did. Because of my depression, I did stunts. I jumped off of things. My, my family built water towers, so I had no fear. I went cliff jumping all the time. I really didn't care if I lived and died in high school. As my actual dream was to be a stuntman, but my family had always done water towers, so my senior year, um, we happened to be very good at baseball. And on the way to playoffs, one of my friends who didn't play baseball lit up a joint. And yes, I did party and do drugs and drank alcohol, but I would never interfere with the baseball game. So I did a, a Bill Clinton is I took a hit not to inhale, but to blow it in my friend's face to be crazy. And um, the coach saw it and I got kicked off the team. And they ended wow. up going on and winning the state championship. Oh. Baseball was my life. Oh and my God, my so heart depressed. is broken for you. Oh yeah, my I, gosh. I drank a liter of vodka every day for 60 days. And really, I, I didn't care if I, I lived at that point. And, you know, 
So my dad came and got me and, and high school was done at that point now. He's like, son, you, you got to come. And I went on the water towers and that's where I really learned click quickly what hard work was like. It's pretty fun because at a 17 years old, I'm making 100, 120 grand, plenty of party and drinking money when we actually did go home for that. But what was bothering me is my friends were, were playing college sports that I was on those teams with. And they were partying on the weekends. And here I'm the 17 year old having to be a very responsible adult because everybody's life is in my hand. If I make a mistake on a water tower, somebody dies. My father's lost three brothers to death on water towers. So, um, you know, but I didn't go back because I was scared. I wasn't smart enough. I never had pre-algebra was the furthest I went in in high school. I never had any high school English spelling or grammar. So I went back after nine months of water towers and decided to start Hibbing Community College so I could play baseball. And that's where it all began is I had to take a year of prerequisites before I even got a college credit. And, but I was playing baseball and, and, I, and now I tried going um, and hanging out with some of the, the kids that were seniors that I was always good friends with that I partied with. And I remember a teacher telling a mother of one of my best friends is you shouldn't let them hang out with JR. He's not a good influence. And I was so mad and hurt because I was always a good kid. I didn't force other people to drink. Like I said, I, I was kind to everybody um, except for mean teachers. And that was a thankful moment for me because that's where I'm like, I'm going to prove these people wrong. I am a good kid. I am driven. I do want to contribute to, to the world in some sort of sports mechanism or management or leadership role. And that lit my fire and all through college, I got magna cum laude and went to grad school, got 4.0. So meaning I wasn't dumb. I just realized I had to be something doing with my passions. I had to be coaching, leading, doing finances. And those are truly my, my greatest, you know, I'm so thankful for that motivation now that that, that one teacher pushed me in a direction that I could never for, be more thankful to her for. Wow. Wow. I mean, there, and there's so many pivotal moments, right? I'm like, this is a fucking movie script, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> like, and when you told me, like, you, you know, you put your lips on the joint to blow it in your friends and then you couldn't play in the fucking state champion and baseball was your life. Like that, that alone is just like, yeah, you are a movie. <laughs> your life is totally uh, the makings of a movie, my friend. And, and, and to see like how that shot you into adulthood, right? Now you're not playing baseball. You're building water towers with your family. You're working hard. You have people's lives depending on you. You're coming home, you know, you know, like that, that, like that, that play work hard, party hard sort of pattern, you know, persisted where in high school it was, you know, I'd play sports and my partying wouldn't interfere. So now it's like my partying won't interfere with my work. So it sounds like you, like there was, you had this like compass of integrity, you know, that you were so desperately holding on to, yeah. to have those boundaries of like, yeah, I may party hard, but it doesn't interfere with my work and it doesn't interfere with my sports. Um, so I could, I could see like this, almost like the schizophrenic, you know, um, way that you were um, leading, trying to manage manage the the trauma really yeah. as well as showing up and being you know the good kid which you always you, was yeah and, right and I didn't knew that I started to get an identity that I, I was bad so not even until starting to go through some of the work that I'll get to later 
did I realize, and even when I went back to my 20 year high school reunion, I had to ask like one of the, the nerdy gals that I always like, and she's like, JR, you are always so nice and kind. It's like, I start to get wow. the impression and identity what other people were saying about me versus I was always trying to prove I am this nice, caring, sensitive, loving human being that is smart, talented, and driven to anything that I'm passionate about because I was good at everything that I put my intention and focus to. And that's where even when I went from community college to St. Cloud State, I started playing rugby as well. And I was this guy that would have all this anger inside and then rugby just became the greatest outlet. I got really good at it. And, you know, we were D1, uh, jumped into men's league after, and this is where my journey began is I went back to grad school to continue to play rugby. It, you know, I was already back to building water towers. I was a financial advisor my first year after undergrad, then 9-11 happened. So I was like back to water towers, making good money again, and came back to grad school to play rugby. And that's where I was working out. And I'd already had five knee surgeries to this point. I was training one of my clients, because I was a personal trainer while going through grad school, um, that had a torn rotator cuff. And he's like, JR, you should go see this Dr. Baumgartner because I played on the weekends and I would limp all weekend long. And he said, go see him. So I decided to do it. And he says, JR, because you exercise and eat healthy, you're probably going to get a better outcome. But now I want to look at your labs and see if you um, have vitamin D deficiencies, testosterone. And then I'm going to put this PRP in prolotherapy. And I was like, I don't know what this stuff is. And I think you're going to get a good outcome. And from limping all the time, broken down body from sports, stunts, extreme behaviors that we kind of glossed through a little bit is I, I didn't take care of myself to say the least, um, is I was back to playing rugby at full strength. So I was such a believer. And he says, JR is all my patients who come in, he was family practice in sports medicine. If they are asking for blood pressure medication or diabetes medication, I know I'm just covering it up. If they come in and they have degenerative disc disease and I give them an epidural or an injection, if we don't get them eating or exercising, will, will you think that works? And I was a personal trainer that was committed to being very good. And I saw the show, The Biggest Loser came out and the trainers would be doing it. But as soon as the doctor said, do you know you're at risk of stroke, heart attack or disease if you don't do something, they would cry. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's the authority measure of a doctor telling a client to lose weight that, that gets this. I said, this is the gap in healthcare. It's all managed care, disease management. And he says, JR, will you join me and do this inside of the practice based on our conversations? And that's where it all began for me is I joined him six months later and began this journey. But yes, all through grad school, all through college, it was always about work hard, party hard, but be the best at whatever I would ever compete or want to be involved in. So that was the beginning of where it all kind of aligned for me to, to be in the, the career that I am today. Yeah. Be the best, be the best, you know, that, it, it, you know, when we look at, um, and so many of our guests have talked about, you know, dealing with addiction and, you know, and I like how, you know, you specifically talk about extreme behavior, which is, it, which is a beautiful way of looking at what I think drives, what drives many addicts, which is, which is to, um, feel alive, to feel yes. on purpose, to, to feel focused, to, you know, and when there are things that are keeping us from doing that, it's like, we don't even know what to fucking do with those feelings. Like for me, my, um, my 
part of my story is addiction around food. And I was in, you know, my whole life was, was around, you know, thinking about what I was going to eat and what my body looked like and, you know, exercise or not exercise. And like, this just constant, like I was trying to, my, my daughter, thank the fucking God. (laughs) Sorry if anybody was offended by that, but like, thank God that she is health. She is healthy and normal around her and this is one of my goals, uh, around food and her weight and exercise and all that, because, and I was trying to tell her, like, I was trying to, like, she didn't even get it. Like she couldn't even comprehend how, like, I couldn't wear a bikini when I was young. Cause I was, I, I mean, my mind was just racing with, with self deprecation and insecurity and, you know, all the time. And, you know, to, and when I look now too, it's like, yeah, I love, I actually wanted to ask you about this, about your awareness around being empathic, because I do think that many uh, of us former addicts and, and, and now, you know, world changers, <laughs> you know, um, are, you know, are empathic and are using that sensitivity as inspiration, right, to, to drive our mission. And so I just, you know, I want to underscore um, you know, that part of your path and, and ask you about that and illuminate, like, like you said, you, you said, is a springboard? Either going to crush you yeah. or, or cripple you or, or springboard you. And yeah. it certainly has been about learning how to turn it into a superpower. So essentially at first is just like, why am I always feeling so sensitive? Why do I get triggered by certain things or people or, or feelings? So I didn't know I was just always emotional but I knew insensitive. So, but when I would talk to the people who were in pain, could I connect is everybody always trusted me. So I got a lot of different friends cause I could relate to different people. I could understand their pain or where they're trying to get for, and I didn't have judgment of people. And that's why I'm so thankful for the alcohol as well Is just like, I've been through it. And even like when I got into personal training, I could, I've been through it. Just like you said, food, if I didn't have sports, I was extreme at food. I had sex all the time with people, you know, I needed to feel connected, feeling on four wheelers, jumping off cliffs is just, I needed to feel something. Um, And and still to this day, if if I am listening to something that's science or boring in literature or something I'm not engaged in, um, I get really bored and can't pay attention. So I have to know my kids and my wife's love languages just so I can put intention to what makes them happy um, because I can go only into things that I really enjoy um, with enthusiasm without really training myself. So yes, it became a skill from a one-on-one connection. People would open up and without the judgment, then I could say, if you want a better life today, yeah, I get you have all that, been there, but what do you want? So, you know, I know you had a purpose just like I did. You have something is this is, like you said, you're suffering if you were molested, if you were teased, happened then, just like I was. But the suffering today is optional because we're no wrongly experienced it. It's only in how we think right now. So it's just like, what do you really want? How do we think towards that? Because the pain of staying the same or the pain of wanting whatever it is that you want, one of those is going to be greater. And, you know, doing nothing, I can assume you'll probably stay the same, right? or continue to live in this. But if you take the one step that we can work to together, we can, we can go through this. So that empathic, no judgment ability is truly my superhuman strength. 
I didn't learn how to, to start relaying that to a little bit later from the doctors and the professional, but in the one-on-one -on -one niche and with friends, I've always had that gift from that early childhood trauma. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. So it was, uh, so it was Dr. Bumgartner. Did I get that, that yes. right? Who, um, who said like saw you and saw your passion and saw your perspective. And obviously, you know, you were an amazing success story for him. So he brought you into his practice and said, Hey, come in. I want to do this. Well, now, was that about the 10 years ago? Is that, that about 10 that's, years ago? That's exactly at 10 years ago. Okay. And so I know from your story that that happened around the same time that you um, got married yes. and, and also um, had a couple like wake up calls. There was like, it seems like there was like a, a pretty quick succession of wake up calls, you know, to bring you to um, another, another key point that I want to share around seven years ago. So kind of take us, take us through the launching and the, like, a, you know, getting really on the path of your current purpose. Yeah, so I, as I mentioned, I, I don't use the word addict because I've been able to overcome a lot of things, but I certainly did black out and get a little bit of crazy. Never mean or aggressive, but because of my stuntman things, I once chipped my ankle when I first went to, to university, blacked off doing a backflip off the, the a fence post. Again, if I land wrong, there's cracking my head. So right when I started at Rejuve, we went on a family cruise and me and my brother have always loved each other tremendously, but fight like brothers. So it was 2 a.m. at the end of the night and he pushed me over and I reacted just like I always do. I'm a reactor until I've learned how to even manage that later from leadership and becoming a CEO is that's my natural instincts. And so somebody said, call security. And I would have never hurt my brother. So I took off running and I jumped in a lifeboat. And the next morning when I woke up, my family was looking for me, I blacked out. It was tethered down. And then there was a four foot gap between the edge of the rail and the boat. So how I slithered under there, blacked out. And if I would have drowned in, instantly death. So I was like, that scared me for the first time. And I, and I knew I probably went a little too hard a few other times, um, but that continued to show up. My mentality, like you said, was I'm gonna work hard and party hard. So Dr. Baumgartner, we started going and getting coaching right away. We went to a fitness summit and saw that there was a mastermind opportunity and he sent me to, to get coaching and masterminds. And I would coach, learn and invest. And we were growing like crazy. We went from 1,000 square foot to already 4,000. And we even started designing our facilities for a 28,000 square foot integrated center. I was taking fitness business models and applying them to next level healthcare, how to have sales systems, how to communicate, how to integrate those things. And we were growing our clinic in the same way, all while always getting amazing outcomes and really starting to get a name for ourselves. So I went on about 10 months into it. My wife, my mother-in-law came and lived with me and says, JR, you and Kyla are not doing so well. You guys fight a lot. And I was like, who the hell are you to come into my home that I just invited you in and telling me how the marriage, but she was right. It wasn't a, a marriage. My wife said, JR, you swear like an iron range sailor all the time. She grew up in a, in a very, you know, um, Lutheran home that, that wasn't used to that, a very sensitive family. My family is very aggressive, like the Sopranos. Her family is very sensitive. Um, neither one of them perfect. It's always in the middle somewhere. So essentially you, you swear too much. You work like crazy. You play sports five nights a week. You, um, when you do drink, it's, you know, embarrassing sometimes. And I'm, seeing you're going to hurt yourself. When you come home, you, you lock right into TV 
et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, this is your mother-in-law telling you this. No, this is my wife now after oh, no, she kind of facilitated. My okay. wife would never hold it in, but she was st starting to get tired with me and, and frustrated. But yes, my mother-in-law told me maybe I should move out. So I was like, who are you to tell me this? Um, and I was like, I don't get it, Kyla. I'm the same person that you married. This was going on beforehand. So I was resentful at first, but um, by happenstance and chance, and I didn't go to church and that was important to her. But to me, it was like, stand up, sit down, rules from the authority standpoint. If you say a sign that says, don't go here, that's like an invitation for me. Um, it's just like, I, I have to, to see what's on the other side. Um, none, never unethical, but I like danger, risk. And, and if a rule doesn't make sense, I, it's like, a, it's, I'm destined to break it. If it makes sense, it's like, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm with you um, on that. <laughs> and my so husband... Yeah very different that way. I mean, my mom, who you know, well, she's, yes. she's like, she's like, Oh, now that rule, that's not for me. You know, it's, I know that's where I got that from, but yeah. yeah. So luckily, and I, I got a, a significant rum B injury. So I wasn't supposed to do that anymore. I vowed to Kyla that I would try to drink much less. And that year I only drank four times instead of every other weekend. Um, we ended up getting pregnant. I went to a church the first time when the, the first thing the pastor said, if you're looking for a perfect pasture, you came to the wrong place. And it was the first time I never felt judged and they had worship music. And I cried like a baby the first eight services. And I was like, wow, this is maybe what a relationship is without judgment and without, you know, making me feel bad about things. So um, it was all open to everything, which I always, again, was so open to whatever was right for somebody else. I didn't like the rules of, of religion whatsoever. Um, and, and, it, and it really impacted me so good growth started happening, but then I was still drinking. So Rejuve was growing and I went to a mastermind and I helped happen to party really hard on the, the first night after the events. And I blacked out and I got alcohol poisoning. And in the very next mastermind, the mentor handed me a book and said, JR, I've met very few people as driven as you. I, I believe you do mean that when you say you want to change healthcare, that there's nothing you won't do to it but I've seen you over the last couple of years now and in a, in a handful of times, you know, some of your partying is maybe preventing you from where you want to go. So I read the book called Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield on the way home. And it talks that pros say what they mean and mean what they say. If they want to be the best, they won't let anything stand in their way. That could be a limitation. Pros can hold their alcohol. Pros can communicate without bottling their anger. Pros listen. Pros hire coaches to help them overcome any weakness that they may have that may prevent them from being the press. And I said, wow, yes, this drinking is getting in my way. And after that plane ride, I vowed to never have a drink of alcohol again. And that was my, you know, introduction into, I will own everything. It's no longer the teacher's fault. I'm so thankful that I got teased right there. I would never become an empath. It's not mean teachers. You're, we're all going to have mean people in life that we still have to show up in there. I'm so thankful for the sports. It helped me gain my vision. And I couldn't imagine of having public speaking, of be going and speaking to stages of doctors, because I didn't have that self-confidence. And that was, you know, the sports learning that, hey, I would get nervous before a game, have to go pee three or four times. But I always practice hard. As soon as I got on there, I felt great. And I learned to translate that same thing into speaking when I had worked up in my head that I was super fearful. So everything that's happened in my past now is my greatest blessing. And I'm so thankful for all of it. 
and you know mentorship, getting a book called Turning Pro, and now living with that basically commandment that number four is trust that your struggle serves your mission. It absolutely does. I needed every one of those hardships to carry me to where I am today. Oh, yes, thank you. Woo! And thank you for pointing out GFR commandment number four. You're so right. That so relevant here. Trust your struggle serves your mission. Um, you know, and the, the confession question with that one, which you're so good at asking is how will what I learned from this struggle serve me and my clients and how have past struggles served me? And I mean, you've clearly done a lot of introspective work to, to really look at your story and all of the, 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 the touch points along the way and the teacher and the, the, the parent that said, don't hang out with him when you got to junior college and, you know, like all of these, you know, you've really um, clearly taken the time to make sense of all of those touchstones along your path. And I'm, I'm so um, grateful that you're here to, to show, to show us the after, you know, and, and we acknowledge we're not done yet. Right. We're not done yet. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. Where, where, where this really started to turn for me, Lisa is, basically by getting coaching. I joined your and Lisa's program. I joined other masterminds. And what I learned is why we grew Rejuve so well. I was blasting out emails to the community, sharing my addictions with food, that I'm not perfect. And people started to relate saying, JR, it's so good to work with you because I don't feel judged or that you've experienced it or been through there. So that email marketing, or when I did that one-on-one -on -one console, everybody would always tell me everything. But when I started going, we, we've made Reju very successful. We started getting innovation awards. We said, how do we take what we've done here and start sharing it with the world? So we started a licensing and franchising in a mastermind company. And we got to about 30 locations and I would go speak, but it was all science and information. I wasn't connecting the same way I had with my clients and they weren't always having the breakthroughs because we weren't addressing that side of it. It was just like, let's plug in a program or replicate it. And what I realized when I got to about 30, 40 locations is they're not leading the way that they need to. They're not going through the same journey. They're not communicating. They were taught in med school to give orders, not to lead. So how that's translating in their, their practice is not working. So unless they learn how to become leaders, how to communicate, how to market and sell, all these private practices were failing. So I was just, and, and I wasn't growing it very well. So going through your coaching and they said, how do you start to share your story? And I hadn't done that because I thought, well, the doctors, why do they need to do this? They're high performing. How is that going to work and everything with them? So going through your, your guys' mastermind program, I learned I had to start telling the story, but how does it tie into being a benefit for them? And at the same time, and not just rambling, that's why I was so excited to come on here to talk for 45 minutes about this. I could never get away with that on, you know, a, in a stage event on marketing or medical fitness or something. So essentially, my first time we were in Seattle about four years ago, and I was supposed to get 45 minutes, but the organizer didn't start it over a lunch. She was random. So she came and I, somebody else got me started and she came in um, 15 minutes into it and gave me the five minute sign. And I was like, oop. I just about finished wrapping up the story and getting into this and I didn't and I didn't even get to my pitch or my offer to come see me and everything so I was like mortified even like people were coming to me saying oh my god GR your story is so amazing that was there but hey maybe this trauma therapist or that would be able to help you I was like oh my goodness I'm so sorry 
I didn't get to that. I'm so thankful for all of that. And it was just more of a, I know doctors and their stories or the, the garbage they have in is what's preventing them from being the leaders, communicators, um, people to inspire people because people don't buy science. They buy outcomes and emotional connection and story. I've learned that now. And that's what I was trying to relay. I just didn't get to do it. So I was so gun shy because our big event that we hosted a yearly summit was coming up in the previous two years, I would only sign up one or two people. And this is what I was getting trained to do. So I was almost not going to do it, but we went ahead and did it. And I signed up 10 plus people to our mastermind, our licensed events, had our first over 200 K day. And I was like, Oh my goodness, I don't know anything any differently. All I did is not have the fear. Commandment number eight is to start telling my story in a meaningful way that would help connect and allow people the space to go through the work that they really need to, to start changing the world. Mm. Oh, so good. It's so good. And, and I mean, you're, they're living the get fucking real mission with these doctors recognizing, like really calling out, like, you know, your work, your, your inner work, your emotional life, your phys- like you, all of that is relevant to, to you growing the practice that you want, not just these systems that I'm handing to you in a, you know, gold plated binder. So, uh, thank you for doing what you're doing and I'm connecting with it at a whole new level, um, through this conversation. So I want to, sh- I want to share, um, this like last bit, I want to share you know, in the spirit of we're not done yet. So you, you know, you were building, 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 you're having, you know, new, um, you know, new heights of accomplishment. And because you are at your core an extreme, <laughs> you know, person, um, that your, your, your extremeness and perhaps the, the pitfalls of that, um, your business was not exempt from that. So I would love to share, you know, um, sort of your most recent, uh, you know, your most recent uh, GFR wormhole as it relates to your business and um, you getting yourself even more aligned, more aligned for the next chapter. Yeah. And I can get a little, a little excited all the time when I'm passionate. So I can jump a little bit and miss parts. But to tie this from a, a personal perspective is back to my wife's story. You know, and you have four kids. I just want to like yes. throw that, lob that into the context here. Cause I mean, I love you sharing. Um, I love having a man on sharing his wife, calling him on, you know, shit and, yeah. and how you listened and you responded. And, and I also want to acknowledge there's four kids also as part yeah. of this, this story. Yeah, absolutely. But at first, remember I said I was doing it with resentment. I didn't want her to change. I loved her for who she was. I was starting to say, why me? But three years after those behaviors were gone, our, our marriage went to a better place. I became a better person because of all those changes. So thankful for that faith that I don't chew anymore, obviously, that I was able to give up the drinking and use that story to inspire numerous other doctors to make these big changes they're hiding in isolation from. So no story ever concerns me or if there's anything that I hear, I keep it confidential. And again, work to people there. So, but what happened is, we were starting to have major business success, right? We'd built Rejuve. I was managing 100 people. Um, we had built our, our medical fitness license place into 100 plus locations. Our mastermind was now having 30, 40 doctors. So as much as it was being an extremist, I was working 80, 90, 100 hour work weeks for 10 years. I would take my gaps. And when we had vacations, yes, I was present and would go all in. 
but I started losing my health. I, I got Lyme's disease, but I was trapped up in these. So after two years of, of, of working with my partner saying, doc, I got to let go of this rejuve piece. I was already partners in the other ones, but I wasn't there. And the rejuve is the, is the clinic. It's your primary, it's like sort of yeah. like the, the ground zero for all of that you were teaching. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was where our big investment, we have this multi-million dollar building, but I wasn't partners in that. I was partners in our license and our mastermind clinic and our other license. I was like, doc, you have to bring me in as partners. So we went through two years of both of us just not feeling it was fair. Both love each other. We wouldn't be where we are without each other. We built something incredibly special that really hasn't been replicated anywhere on, on, on this earth yet. So realizing I came back from a vacation or not a vacation, but from a, a teaching seminar and I'm in my kitchen and I think I'm having a heart attack. And I'm like, Kyla, I think call Joel or, or get ready to call 911. I went numb from my head to my toes. I was already coming over, over from there. My heart was racing. And I went into the ER after eating something, it, it went away. But then it happened at a music concert two months later. And it was just like this feeling of helplessness. And then unfortunately, one of my close trainers lost her husband. And she called me and said, JR, is you, you work like nobody I've ever seen. You have this beautiful family. I know you love what you do and you say you're doing it for them, which it is in part, but I know they probably want more of you and this is going to cost you. So that was my moment of, yes, I need to do this. I wasn't getting anywhere with my partner. So went to fast forward, trying to work it out again, negotiate for nine more months. And then I went to a Tony Robbins event and my big fear was, am I enough? Can I do this? I'm not getting here. How do we do this? We couldn't come to those agreements. So I came back from that event and put in my notice to sell my shares. Um, so I sold the two companies. And in June is I, what I took from that event is, and what I've always wanted is I want an outstanding marriage. I want outstanding health. If I know so many people that retire at 60 or unhealthy because they're a millionaire now and you have nothing. It's just like, if you don't have your health, that's the greatest you know, wealth that there is. How do you live and enjoy if you, the things that you want to do without that? So um, that's, that was that. So basically I'm three and a half months into my absolute own journey now, but through all this is I've learned Western medicine, Eastern medicine, trauma release, energy work. All of this is necessary to change healthcare. So many egos get in the way and say, well, it's this surgeon or that. And it's really the spectrum of physical, which is the, the model that we created at, at, at Rejuve. Emotional and trauma, which however means there's so many ways to work through that in, in physically and internally with traditional medicine. All those need to exist. And until we can all start referring everybody to what they need best without ego, we're not going to fix this chronic disease or this chronic pain problem that we're in. And now I'm so happy to experience the full spectrum to now starting to live in my fullest being and intention. Like I said, I always have that threshold, but now over the last three months, I doubled my income from back to having the fear. When I am, I still travel a lot, but when I'm home, I am fully home with my family. I get to work from my own home office. This isn't the nice fancy studio and background anymore. And I'm still doing some of the things now I'm having to relearn. But man, it's just like, it's, it's powerful. Now I'm really getting to the point where I'm doing what my unique ability and calling in the life is at the highest level in giving to myself, my family, and my children on the level that I desire. And it's all about overcoming and owning it yourself. Yes. Ah, so good. It's so, thank you. And thank you for 
you know, sharing sort of the most, you know, current part of your journey, because, you know, as much as some of the stories that we tell on the show are kind of have like a nice, you know, beautiful, simple arc, <laughs> you know, I was this and then this crappy thing happened and now I'm doing this and like, and there are as many as there are those, there are, there are the, the, you know, just the, the, the upward trajectory with the, with the, hitting bottom, but never really, you know, that, like that first one and almost like keep springboarding to higher and higher levels. And, and cause we, I could have had you on a year ago and it would have been, a, you know, it would have been, I have these three companies, you know, I'm making all this money, you know, I'm doing all, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, and now it's like, Oh, I, I let go of two companies. I am, being the best father and, and husband I can. I am f making my own health a priority, which is of course on fucking purpose, <laughs> right on you, right? It's like, you know, um, yeah, it's like me. It's like I to keep telling people I have to like GFR all over the fucking place because yeah. that's my, you know, I can't not do that. And I, that's why I have the squad, uh, the, the GFR squad, because I want to have a group of people that have put a little skin in the game and saying GFR is important to me. And I get to go in there and do, you know, do my own work um, and share my own process. So I, I really um, have a lot of respect for you making yourself a priority. And, and I see that at the same time, you're kind of widening the scope of the definition of integrated and holistic and like, you know, through you, um, through your own personal connection with the different modalities and transformations. Yeah, and that's where, where the journey is today, is the, the journey's not over, is even in this time doubling the income, the biggest challenge now being on this is I used to have a team of 100 people to delegate stuff to, right? So now people did see go on my own and they're like, oh my goodness, JR's out there, the people that I've worked with. So I've gotten over 12 business partnership opportunities. So in this three months, well, I've had this health ovators, just like you said, vision that's brought in to help take your basic practice owner to a thought leader in the process from personal leadership to following our systems to learning how to write their best selling book to become, you know, how to do their keynote or their thought leader talk in conversion and, and still running a, a couple mastermind. The great thing about leaving Joel is we are still affiliate partners for his regenerative thing and I can still go coach with them. So it worked out because we had so much love for each other. It was just how do we figure out what this, what this is for each other. So when you do things the right way, it comes. But what I've learned in this process is there's still only so much time. So I built and became sex successful by saying yes to so many different things. But at that same time, it's cost me my health. And, and, and a mentor told me, JR, instead of just saying yes to everything and giving these opportunities and coaching people for free, you have to change your mindset that you're stealing time away from your son or your daughters or your, your wife, every time you're giving your time away for free. So about- Ask, Can you say that again? Say that again. I think that, yeah, that's- And, yeah. and let's tie it in uh, as you, you so beautifully did with um, commandment number 10, mm -hmm. right? Which is know that the struggle, stress, and pain prevented with your expertise has enormous monetary value. Where are you not owning your value and what is it costing me? And so what I, I, you know, what I'm hearing you say is, so I just want you to say what that yeah. mentor said again. Absolutely. And tie it into the commandment, 100%. So he said, JR, you work harder than anybody I know. You're working all these hours, but you already have it. You're a pro. So anything perfecting it is there. 
and are giving your time away. Like I said, some of these sales cycles used to be a year to get them signed up. He's just like, you can't just give and give and coach them and then hope they'll, they'll do that. I did that forever. So if I'm going to pivot and understand my self-worth on the next level, it's you, if you want to be the best in the top paid consultant, then you need, your value needs to match that and giving away your time is not there. So he said, every time you're giving these people the second, the third, the free, the fourth free consultation, doing all these free shows, hearing their business ideas, considering it, working through with a strategic plan before it goes, you're stealing time from your friends, family, and loved ones in your own health. So if you're doing all that free stuff and ignoring and those other areas aren't extending, you're, you're, you're at a value mismatch. So that was like, wow, I said no to all those business opportunities. That's again, me fearing, thinking I need somebody else. When I learn, I do like to be the leader. I don't want to do all the shots. I want to get fucking real. I want to be the boss and I never want to be employed again. I don't go take all these partnerships and opportunities. Know my value that I am very unique. I have built the most successful cash practice everywhere in the world. Step up to my value instead of stepping into fear where I'm owning it. So now it's just like, here's my five pickers platform, which has a million dollars worth of value, 2000, and you can get on group co coaching. If you want to just learn, here's my book. If you want the one discovery call, I'll get on there. But then we're either choosing one of these programs or I'm ready when you're ready. The coach will show up when you're ready, but I will no longer give my time for free commandment. Oh, I love that. And you, you said, uh, you said, um, used to be $120 an hour trainer. And now you're $120,000, $100, $120 an hour trainer. And now you're $120,000 for consulting. You know, so the 10 year journey close is I struggled when I first got into, to starting our personal training business, selling an introductory three session, $120 package. So more of $40 an hour. And now recently I sold a $120,000 program working, uh, you know, one day per week for one of my clients on the highest level. And we are having great success. And, and I had to see that as, man, if they tried to figure this out on this own, Rejuve made millions of dollars of mistakes. I made this exact formula. I know it better than anybody in the world. That is even a steal for her at that rate, based on the time, the struggle, the cost that we put in at that point to have and be able to deliver that exact formula. So even that is a bargain now that I'm starting to step into to my true value. Ah, it's, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, and you are months or actually weeks away from a new website and um, your new book, Cash Practice Success, and, and be and standing on your own two feet. Like I, I want to make sure that people really heard that part of your story, which was that you tried to tell your partner it wasn't working yeah. and, and your partner didn't say, okay, go. And be, you know, like your partner wasn't going to solve that for you and sort of like push you out the nest and that you, you know, you happened to invest this time in a, a Tony Robbins and your sound, you, you were very clear that you have invested in mentors all along the way, including myself, yeah. which I've been honored to do. And that at that Tony Robbins, that your takeaway was like, I could do this. I am enough. I'm I enough. can, I could, do, I'm enough. I'm enough. Just like drinking in those words. I I'm am enough. enough over and over as a, as a mantra is just like, why do you see? And I needed mentorships. I needed people. I needed the affirmations because I grew up without having that. And that's, I am a words of affirmation type guy. I always want to be a value. So it's truly, you know, knowing how to, to basically 
up level yourself, just like you said in the springboard, there's nothing preventing us versus the value that we see in ourselves from really starting to, to ask for that on the highest level. Yes. Beautiful. Do you have uh, something uh, you want to share in the final words or final thoughts? Yeah. It's just, I want you to ask yourself is if there's a gap in your life, in your marriage, in your um, business, in your health, it's, those are all critical aspects of your, your success, your body, your being and your, your purpose. So know that you can't do it alone. The cost of not getting it figured out is the pain of where you are now or not getting that life that you deserve. What is stronger? And if it's stronger to, to walk into your purpose and your highest being, then hiring people like you that are experts. If it's, you know, your marriage, go get that marriage counselor. There's no shame in needing coaching. Which Olympic athlete or pro does not have the resources at their hand is because I've always learned every system or person is perfectly designed for the results that it produces. So if we are a conveyor belt making widgets and we don't add a person or a new gear to speed it up, it doesn't change. So if we do nothing, it's likely things are going to get worse or not change. We have to find the courage, and that's what it takes, to commit to gain these capabilities to really become what we need to be. Oh, amen. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you, JR, for giving me the honor of helping to tell your powerful story that is for sure not done yet. I want to, I think I'm going to have to have all my guests back on like year or two check in just to see what magic they're creating now. So I can't wait to have you back and, and hear about, you know, about, um, cash practice success and all that you're doing on your own and um, about your kids and your marriage and all that. So um, thank you for your, your time. And, and I, I could feel the transmission, you know, of your story into the ear holes of the people, you know, that need it and the transformation that it's going to create. So thank you for being so vulnerable and so real. Thank you so much, Lisa. I really appreciate the work you're doing because this is the, the mind game, as you've always said, is is where we're going to really start to, to walk into our true purpose. No tactics are, are going to be about you. The, the mind is, is you and, and winning there is, is a big step for all of us. Mm -hmm. ah, over and out, Mr. JR. <laughs> Thank you. It's amazing how many of our stories come down to coming out, quote unquote, in some way or another. That phrase traditionally referred to a gay man or woman, you know, sharing who they really are as coming out has really parlayed into use around any secret that we feel like needs to be hidden and then a choice around sharing it. And it's, it's really actually phenomenal how epidemic the thoughts around coming out are for various things. I mean, in one of our recent monthly confession calls for our GFR squad, you know, we had someone talking about coming out about being spiritual, you know, coming out about not believing in taking medication, um, coming out about, um, you know, their leadership style and how they didn't, you know, practice what their company preached and, you know, just, you know, so, so much, you know, and of course you all know my coming out story around non-monogamy, um, that's episode 11, I believe. And, and so JR is helping these doctors to come out about who they are so that that distinguishes them in the marketplace. 
so the best way to keep in touch with JR is through his uh, social media, and we have links to all of the places in the show notes. And he has an upcoming book called Cash Practice Success, which will be launched shortly within weeks of the airing of this episode. So please, you know, keep in touch with him on social media so you can check that out. And um, for our JFR squad, he goes uh, more fully into his five pillars of practice success, which are really applied to any entrepreneurial venture. And he talks about how um, very specific steps about coming out about things that really make you unique and how to do it in a safe way that's distinctive and really in service of your business. So if you're not in the GFR squad, I hope you'll jump over and join us at gfr.life forward slash squad. Super simple, super inexpensive, and super powerful way to um, GFR the fun way. <laughs> and make sure you get your 12 GFR commandments, gfr.life forward slash 12C, and subscribe to the show. If this is the first episode that you're hearing, oh, you just won't even believe what else we have in store for you. It's totally binge worthy. So make sure you subscribe and, and anywhere that you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, we're in all the places. Just search for us and subscribe so that you don't miss any of the juiciness. Over and out for now, y'all. <laughs>